sometimes, you know, as a church, you don't get to see the tangible, you know, impact of giving, but you're already being able to see that. And again, for us as a church, it's not just helping people in need, it's helping people receive Jesus while helping their need. And so uh, it just, just thanks for your generosity in that. We also want to announce, you know, this weekend, you know, as, as well, uh, over the last year, starting last Mother's Day, uh, th- we've been trying to say, what are we doing locally? So, you know, what are we doing through our church? You know, we do two special offerings. One is kind of an outreach international, which is what we just celebrate with joy to the world. And this last one's been paved the way. And so we're just trying to say, God, how are you trying to lead us to engage with our community to reach our community for Christ? And what we decided was that there's some opportunities by theming out our kids' area and an indoor playground and expansion of the lobby and another road that would go out to Henry Road, you know, from our place. And the goal was $500,000, you know, over this past year. And I'm excited to be able to announce today Today, that we've raised over $540,000 that have come in for Pave the Way. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? Just in the last 12 months, just with Joy to the World and Pave the Way, that you have given above tithes and offerings just over $1 million. I mean, that's just amazing. The Church of Generosity, I'm just so honored and grateful to be a part of a church, you know, who gets the impact that we can make the kingdom in our, in our church, through our church, in our community, as well as, you know, around the world. Um, I probably should back up a little bit uh, and introduce myself. My name is Dan Shields. You know, I'm one of the pastors, you know, here. Many of you guys know that I got a chance to go to Israel, you know, for two weeks with Carolina. I just want to publicly thank, you know, our elders for giving me that opportunity, as well as the staff who took on some extra load, you know, while I was gone, you know, experiencing him. And uh, this picture that I want to show you is a picture, you know, of the person. The person who invited me was uh, Josh Gray, and he's on my left. He's the lead pastor down in Moscow, at Real Life Ministries Moscow, you know, not too far from here. And then to my uh, right is my wife, and to her right, you know, is Brad Gray, you know, who was the leader of our trip. And it was just an amazing experience, you know, to be taught by a master teacher, you know, while we hiked and interacted. And in the background, you know, is the Sea of Galilee. And just to be able to say, this place is real. And people have asked, you know, hey, Dan, what did you take away from your time in Israel? And I don't have a lot of time to unfold that now, but here's what I can tell you I relearned is that God is real. And one of the things that was just uh, just kind of eye-opening and a reminder to me is through history, through geography, and through archaeology, it continues over and over and over to support that the Bible is true. And if the Bible is true, then God is real, and you and I get to continue to be a part of that story in our life and on into eternity. And so it just kind of grounds you, you know, at another level. And so I'm excited to be able to share over the next year or so, you know, the different learnings that I receive because I'm just so passionate to be able to share unto you what has been given to me. Uh, in addition, our hope is within two years, in 2024, that we'd actually put our first Israel trip through Valley Real Life together. And so just kind of keep that, you know, uh, in mind. We're hoping, you know, to get a whole group of people to be able to go over and experience what I got a chance to experience, you know, to be able to share with you as well. So more of that to come. In addition, you know, lastly, I just want to thank Sarah, Ryan, and Tyler for doing such a great job speaking these last few weeks. Can we just thank God for them? They just did such a good, good job. 
And I love that we have people being able to use their gifts for him. Uh, speaking of which, next week you'll also have a guest speaker. His name is Chad Goucher. He's a friend of my, my, my wife's and mine from Arizona. He's a pastor there. And the reason is, is because next, year, next weekend is our annual uh, Elders and Elders Wives Retreat. So we're going to be up, you know, in Montana. So you can just be praying for us. You know, if you don't see us here, it's because we're just seeking the Lord on behalf of this place, you know, evaluating what has happened, what is happening, and where God is leading us in the future. So I want to make sure that you are uh, uh, just praying for us during that time. Okay, that's a lot of stuff. So let me just welcome you now to the second week in our series called The Forgotten God. Now, the reason we mentioned this, and Tyler mentioned this last week, is because you might have grown up in a background like I did, where the emphasis was on God the Father, it was on God the Son, and then it was on God his Holy Word, instead of God the Holy Spirit, you know, because we don't want to be, it's hard to quantify this Spirit, this Holy Ghost, and you know, there are some people I ran across, I'm like, Man, if that's what the Spirit looks like, that's weird and uncomfortable for me. And so we just kind of put this over here. Now, at the other side of you, there's many of you who grew up, you know, with more of the Holy Spirit emphasized. And I love that we have a church that both backgrounds, you know, can come together and be able to learn and grow. In fact, if you come to our eldership, we have fully both sides and backgrounds represented from a church historical, you know, context. But I'm excited to be able to walk through these six weeks to help us understand who is the Holy Spirit? What's the role of the Holy Spirit? How do I tap into the Holy Spirit into my real life? Now, the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear. There is one God with three distinct persons, okay? There's one God with three distinct persons. In fact, if you were to divide up our Bibles, um, the all three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is represented from Genesis to Revelation, but there are stars, there are highlights, there are, there are ones who kind of take a prominent role. Like in the Old Testament, the prominent role is would be God or God the Father. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John especially, it would be high emphasis on God the Son, Jesus Christ. And then Acts, through a good portion of the rest of our Bible, you know, could actually be re renamed Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit kind of takes prominence from that point almost through the rest of our Bibles. Now, the way you kind of see this emphasized is how Jesus describes it in Matthew chapter 28, where he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So three distinct persons, but one God. Now, how in the world does that work? Well, the word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, but that's what theologians have put together to say that's what the Trinity is about. One God, three parts. And so maybe you were like me and you grew up in something called Sunday school. How many of you guys grew up in Sunday school? Anybody have Sunday school? Okay, by the way, worst name for a kid to go to. You get five days of school and guess what? You get a bonus day of getting to go to Sunday school. You're like, man, not encouraging, but it's something that I grew up in. Anyway, terrible marketing. Um, so growing up in Sunday school, uh, um, our, our teacher, our Sunday school teacher, would bring in at least a couple times a year an egg. And they would try to describe the Trinity as uh, the picture of an egg. It's one egg, but there's three distinct parts. You got the yolk, the white, and the shell. And so as an elementary kid, you're like, oh. I get it. And then you get to high school, you're like, I don't get it. And so in high school, your youth pastor would try to sit you down and try to explain this like, well, many of you are in chemistry and you understand H2O is a compound. Now it's one compound, but you do understand it comes in three distinct, unique forms. One is a liquid, 
you know, in water. One is a solid as an ice and the other one is a cloud or steam, you know, which is the third representation. So H2O, one compound, three distinct parts. Do you get that as kind of a representation of the Holy Spirit? We're like, yes, we get it. Then you get to college. You're like, I don't get it anymore. And so then people try to explain, you know, well, maybe like you're a person and, you know, my wife knows me as, as her husband. None of you kind of have that relationship. At least I hope not, you know, um, as husband. And then my kids know me as their father. Um, the only other people that know me might as their father are some of their staff people that I talk trash to. Who's your daddy now? You know, so that's, uh, you know, that, that happens from time to time. You know, but uh, and then you've got, you know, uh, um, me as your pastor. And so that's one of the ways. Anyway, it's hard to understand how all this works, and I'm not going to fully understand or get it, except for I know that's what the Bible describes as we look at this. In fact, Jesus describes it, and the reason why he physically says, I can't be here anymore. He's telling his disciples in one of their last conversations together, saying, I'm going to go die on the cross, I'm going to raise from the dead, but I need to leave to actually give you the third part of this trinity. And we find this in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Some of your Bibles may say helper, or some may say comforter, who will never leave you. Who is this person? He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So he's saying the Holy Spirit's there, but Jesus is going to leave, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come and not just be around, but actually inside of us. The Holy Spirit is in us. In fact, that Greek word for Holy Spirit is called paraclete. Paraclete means one called to the side of another, one to help comfort, to counsel, to guide, you know, to direct, to rebuke, all of those things is Jesus's presence inside of you and me when we submit ourselves to him as our Savior and Lord. And so what is then the role of the Spirit. So we're going to take six weeks, and this is week two. Tyler talked about how the Holy Spirit adopts us and liberates us. So let me start with this today. Do you believe people can change and transform? Raise your hands if you can believe people can change or transform. Okay, I know this to be true, but I'm going to date myself a little bit. When I think of the word transform, two things come to mind. First, transformers, right? More than meets the eye. I could actually start singing, you know, that whole saying, Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons, and we go through the whole thing, but Kenny would not want me to do that much further and not, uh, you know, want me to sing on stage. So I will stop that. But here's what I know. Optimus Prime, all of the, you know, uh, Transformers, they have one start. They're actually like a robot, and they become, you know, a truck, a car, an airplane, or something else like that. And it was fun to see this transformation take place. The second thing that I think of is growing up, uh, we have the caterpillar, God's creation, becoming a butterf butterfly. Okay, butterflies is metamorphosis. Metamorphosis in the Greek is transformation. So we see this complete transformation that takes place. The reason I mention that is because the Holy Spirit's job after adoption is to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's its role. It's to take us from who we are and conform us, transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, here's one of the misnomers. Some people think that uh, uh, um, accepting Jesus as Savior and going to heaven, that's the point of Christianity. That's what's spouted out, especially outside these walls. 
Like, well, it's about getting this fire insurance or just going to heaven. If that, and that is true to an extent, but if that was the only reason is that Jesus wanted us to go to heaven, then why wouldn't it be that we accept Christ and poof, we go to heaven? Could there be that there's a part in the process that he wants to take after we've accepted him, after we've been adopted in him, that helps us to become more like him until we actually meet him face to face? That's the Holy Spirit's job and the role from the inside out. So to help you understand this, uh, there is a biblical principle and a picture that was given to me this week, which was so helpful because I was trying to struggle. How do I show you this transformation process and what that looks like by given to me by our executive pastor, Jay Jones. And what we want to walk through is our condition in Christ versus our position in Christ. Okay, our condition in Christ versus our position in Christ. So I'm going to show you this graph that looks at, you know, this idea of our relationship with God. Okay, so here's this picture. And so you can see at the top, our relationship with God. Now there's a point, hopefully, in our journey with God that we say, Jesus, I'm going to accept you as my Savior and Lord. And at that point, you know, in the journey, we get to see this. There's a beginning point. And we get to see the point where we become a Christian, you can see it at, at the bottom left, and then the point when we die and meet him face to face. So there's this moment, there's this prayer, there's this time when you said, I accept Jesus into my life. When that happens, when we accept Jesus in our life, our position, our standing in Christ immediately changes. Okay, and this is what that looks like. So our position goes from, when I accept Jesus as my savior, I am now in Christ. I am now a child of God. I am now chosen. I am God's very own. I am adopted into his family. Perfection is what God sees about us, not because of anything we've done, but because of who Christ is. Your and my position in Christ is called justification. That's a fancy word, for we are now justified by what Christ has done for us. Us receiving that has changed our position in Christ. The Holy Spirit's role in that is to draw us into his presence and then actually to help us become, you know, the second part, which is to become more like him. Now, the Holy Spirit, let me describe it this way. My kids, uh, and maybe you've got kids, you know, as well, when they are born or in my case, adopted into my family, their position changes, doesn't it? No matter what happens, they're now my kids. They could do great things in life or awful things in life. And guess what? Their position in my family will never change. It never changes because they have been adopted or they are born into my family. They will always be on this side of eternity, my sons and my daughter. In the same way, when you get adopted into the family of God, your position in Christ doesn't change. But guess what does change? my condition in my relationship with my kids, right? Ever have any ups and downs? You know, ever have like seasons where like, hey, we're really doing good in our relationship by how we talk and connect with one another and other seasons where you're like, nope, we are not doing well. In the same way, this is our condition in Jesus Christ. So this is the difference between making Jesus savior versus making him Lord. So making him Lord, we're trying to become like Christ. We're trying to, trying to have our spirit lead over our flesh. And just like in our relationship with Christ, our condition changes, doesn't it? Hey, now I'm doing great with Christ. Ooh, now I'm not doing so well with Christ. He hasn't changed, 
my condition. And the goal of the Holy Spirit is to transform us over time in the ups and downs. Your position never changes, but our condition does. It's going to have ups and downs in life. Now, our condition in Christ is called sanctification. And this is where we rely on the Holy Spirit to help us conform into the image of Christ. And hopefully that helps you understand these biblical terms of justification versus sanctification. But let me go one step further. If you have your Bibles, open to Galatians chapter 5. Because in Galatians 5, while you're turning there, Paul does a great job of distinguishing between our position in Christ and our condition in Christ. In fact, for the first 15 verses, he gets into an argument or tries to make a case for um, the Jewish people are wanting to say, hey, yeah, you need to accept Christ to change your position in, in, in God, but you also need to follow the law and you need to be circumcised. And Paul's like, no, you don't. You don't need to do any of those things. It's only by what Christ has done. You receive him. He has set you free. And out of that freedom, we then have an opportunity to serve. And then he spends the next half of the chapter talking about our condition in Christ, which is two different things, which is where we pick up in verse 16. So this is what he says. Notice this in the role of the Holy Spirit. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. So what he's saying there is every day you and I have a choice on who will guide our lives. Will we, in our own perspective and sinful nature, or will we allow the Spirit to guide our lives, thus helping our condition in Christ and our relationship with other people? And let me be honest. There are days where I can see in my own life, yep, this was a great connection, opportunity, and condition I have in Christ. And there's other days I'm like, ugh, did not do so well when it came to that relationship with him. Now, what Paul then does is then he goes into a little, he goes even deeper and says, in case you didn't get the point, I'm going to give you two lists. And I'm going to give you two examples of what does it look like to actually live in the condition of our sinful nature. And again, notice he's writing to Christian people. This is who he's talking to. So, to, 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 so what does that look like? And then he's going to give us a list of what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. So this first list, what I want you to do is in, the own, in your own recesses of your heart and mind, I want you to kind of make an internal checklist to be like, yep, I've engaged in some of these things over the past day, week, month, or year, okay? So with that being in mind, here is what it looks like when you follow the desires of your sinful nature. Galatians 5.19, the results are very clear. He says, here's the output of that condition, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Uh, this is what the Bible would call sensual sins relating to sex or anything outside of God's design for sex and marriage between a man and a woman. This is also pornography. So any of these things would be led by our sinful nature out of God's design instead of following God's design. That's one list. Then he talks about idolatry and sorcery. Uh, these are sins of worship and placement of God in our lives. 
Now, idolatry is just anything that takes, you know, preeminence in our lives that we put ahead of God in our lives, and we can find that it affects our condition in Christ. Now, sorcery isn't something you see often around today as much. It's underneath the surface a little more. In Paul's day, especially in Galatia, oh my gosh, pagan worship and all this kind of stuff that was happening. So that's why he mentions it here. Then notice this next list. It'd be easy if you kind of hit the first few, and then he just kind of goes into hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and envy. Okay, These are sins that primarily express themselves in how we treat one another. You notice that this is what's on display in how we treat others. Then he has one final little list, you know, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. These can be thought as social sins. Sins that are often committed in the company of other people or peer pressure of others. And then he finishes with a strong sentence. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, when I read that, it freaks me out. Because I'm like, I've engaged in those things. In fact, let's, let's be real with one another. Over the past week or even month, how many of you, like me, have engaged in any aspect of that list? Raise your hands. Oh, this is my church, my people. Okay? We find ourselves at war with this sinful nature, which affects the condition of our relationship with Christ. Now, understand what he's saying there. When I read that, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Nobody can be a part of the kingdom. That's not what he's saying. You have to notice that the verb is living it's a continuation of with no regard for the Spirit's leading and guidance or even reception in our life. That's what that Greek word means. Is that no one will be a part of the kingdom of God who chooses to follow that way on a regular basis. And so that's that list. And it can be kind of disheartening to go, man, but you and I know that when we engage in those things, it affects our relationship, our condition in Christ. And it affects our relationship with other people. Then he says, here's the list of what it looks like when we're actually being led by the Spirit in our lives and the transformational power at work. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, the reason he mentions that is because you and I are not much different than the Jewish people. We think if we just try harder, we will do better. So if I just am willing myself to try to be more patient, more good, more kind, then I will be those things. No, you can't because it says the Holy Spirit does this. Just like a caterpillar cannot, trans, I mean, uh, uh, cannot transform themselves into a butterfly, they have to go into a cocoon and allow the work of God in his nature to produce the butterfly from the caterpillar. You and I have to depend on the spirits leading in our lives to transform us, not work harder to accomplish these things. It doesn't say Dan produces these things in his life. It says the Holy Spirit produces these things in our lives, which is why we go back to this graph again. You notice in the far right, it says fruit of the Spirit. That's what it looks like. You want to know what Christ looks like? That's the fruit of Christ's life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so as we keep growing in our faith, we actually then conform into the image of his son, 
being like him until the point in which we die and meet him face to face. That, my friends, is called sanctification. So justification is our position in Christ. Sanctification is our condition in Christ, trying to become more like him, allowing the spirit to lead, which leads us to our final question then. How? How do we then let the Holy Spirit transform us into the image of Jesus Christ? And I just want to give you three ways, three simple ways, and there's more, that can lay a foundation for the transformation work he wants to do in your life. The first is to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's where it starts. It's to actually accept him as Lord and Savior. Remember, almost accepting Jesus as Savior is our position in Christ. Making him Lord is our condition in Christ. Are we willing to say, Jesus, not my life, yours. I'm going to be led by your spirit being conformed into your image for the rest of my life. That's the challenge that's set before us. In fact, um, uh, Peter, uh, um, upon receiving the spirit for the first time in his life, him and his disciples, there's this great crowd that gathers and he gives this incredible sermon of which we only have a little bit of snippet on, which was crazy to me because I was standing on the steps, you know, exactly where Peter was delivering the sermon going, this is just blowing my mind, you know, in, in, in Israel and Jerusalem. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is taking place right here as the Bible describes. And he concludes it because the people are like, okay, we're convinced the spirit is drawing us. We want to be adopted in his presence. What do we do now? And in verse 38, Peter replies, each of you must repent of your sins. So you got to acknowledge that there is sin in your life and to repent is to do a U-turn and turn to God and then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't get caught up in order. Don't get caught up in that theological, well, do you not get the Spirit if you're not baptized? Don't go down that road. The point is, is that you need to accept Christ and you receive the Spirit Either it happens before or after baptism, and you get baptized into his name, thus starting that picture and that perfect experience with him. Now, perfect as in what Christ is going to do. It's not perfect as in what we're going to do. Because I can tell you, I am not perfect in any way, shape, or form. So that's the first thing, to accept Christ. Second, this may sound obvious, but connect daily and regularly to Jesus and his Holy Spirit through his word and in prayer. Regularly. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, notice this is the same thing we just saw, will produce much fruit, okay? For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's saying, spiritually, you're not doing this work. Connect to me, that's your work. If you're gonna do work in this life, are we making time for Jesus? Because here's what I know. Our world is speeding up again. One of the gifts of COVID is it forced us to slow down. And I saw so many people reattune or re-engage in their relationship with Jesus. Then as we get busier as a society, once again, it's so easy to not have time to sit at the feet of Jesus, to be in his word, to be in prayer, and allow the spirit to do its work in our lives. And then what we find ourselves is maybe you find yourself like me this last week, just in heartache. And I just kept reading article after article after article with what happened in Texas, as well as in Buffalo, as well as in Southern California, which hasn't got much publicity. And I'm just reading article after article after article, and I'm finding myself angry. 
I'm finding myself frustrated. I'm finding myself sad. I'm finding myself in all of these different kinds of emotions. And then God, through his spirit, subtly reminded me, when have you today spent time with me in my word? I found myself spending hours of time looking at articles and reading different things and reading what other people were saying instead of going to God's word and allowing the spirit of God to bring a perspective, an understanding, and a conviction of who we are in Christ as we move forward and what we can do in response to everything that's happening. And so it was just a reminder to me that a reminder to you that you're here for a reason. And maybe for a follower of Christ, the only reason that God has you here today is to hear these words, spend time with the Spirit by spending time in God's Word regularly. Everything else takes up so much of our heart and our mind if we realize that if we're being led by the Spirit, can we engage with God's Word on a regular basis? You can make that mark in the sand or that foundational point in your life to say, no more. This is my time with God. More important than working out, more important than TV, more important than your spouse, more important than your kid, more important than your girlfriend or boyfriend, more important than your friendships. You're going to spend time with Jesus because out of that, the Spirit is going to lead you in all the other relationships and purpose of our lives. That's what he wants us to experience is to be in that transformation. Here's what I can tell you on the third way, and then we'll wrap up is that God is inviting you to be in deep relationship, number three, with people who are committed to following the Spirit's leading in their everyday lives. Just like anything else, you can't do this alone. God has created us in the context of community. And when we have people in our lives, so let me ask you this this real question. Do you have anybody in your life that is encouraging, challenging, helping you walk in your relationship with Jesus? Not who are friends in Christ, I'm talking about people who are walking this journey of faith. This has been the most important transformational process of my last seven years is that I have found three or four guys that I meet with individually about once a week who we encourage each other in our faith in Jesus Christ. The second group of people who probably made the biggest impact in my life as it pertains to the Spirit's leading has been our elders. Our elders, when they meet with me and challenge me and encourage me and walk alongside, they're continuing to press upon me and saying, what is the spirit leading? What is God doing? What does his word say? So that we can continue to move forward. And I so value that relationship. For some of you guys, it may be a small group. I mean, a life group, you know, whether a group of men or women, you know, that you've got to be able to have that. So before you say, no, I don't have that. And you use that as an excuse. My challenge would be if you're in Christ, are you that for someone else? Because there's many opportunities through our church, and maybe that's your next step, is that you need someone else. Because guess what? Our condition in Christ, up, down, up, down, up. And we're hopefully having more ups than downs. Guess what helps us on the trajectory of up more than anything else is relationship with other people who are doing life with us, with Jesus at the center. It makes all the difference in the world. And you need to have those people in your lives, just like I do. And so next step. How will you daily connect to the Holy Spirit this week? My prayer is that this is a wake-up call. My prayer is this is an opportunity because we're going to spend the next five weeks, including today, the next five weeks on what is the transformational work that the Spirit does in our lives. So Tyler talked about the adoption in Christ, and that's our position. And today is week one of our condition in Christ 
and the transformational work that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And my hope is that you'll join us through this series and it'll actually lead to transformational work in your life as much as mine. As we show this last screen once again, you know, I just want you to see that's the hope. That's the hope. You're gonna have ups and downs and that's okay. Your position in Christ doesn't change, but our condition does. And you and I, our work is to allow the spirit to tap into the spirit to allow it to change us through, the, through these three ways and others in which I mentioned. Now the choice, as always, is yours. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time and this opportunity. I pray you would just lead and guide us. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the adoption that we have you know, in you. And I pray, Father, that you would help us in our condition with you. Father, help us just to be transformed into the image of your son by sitting at your feet, by relying on other people with you at the center. Father, by just accepting you as Lord and Savior. And if that's somebody in this room who needs to find themselves in a position where they're gonna follow after you, that this would be the opportunity. And so I love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.